0: Good morning, once again, good morning. In this little bit of humidity, I was telling David earlier with the fog in here, I was hoping I wouldn't be seen, and it'd be like, kind of like the voice of God on Mount Sinai. Just Just like it, exactly. You know, before I start, I'll pray for us, but I'm Brian Cross. I'm one of the elders here. It's a pleasure to serve Northwest. In that capacity, as well as in a life group, my wife and I, Brittany, we call Northwest Home, have since 2012. Thank you first for being our family and for being our community. Let's go ahead and pray before I open up the word. Father, as Liv was praying, that you would use these words that that I'm about to speak, that they would penetrate hearts and minds, and it wouldn't be about... What I want to say, that it would be about what you're doing in each of our lives. Move, Holy Spirit, in, there, in this service, that our hearts would become more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, as I was preparing, Ryan told me a couple months ago uh, that I had an opportunity to share. And I, I reckoned back, this is a career ago, when I lived in Arizona, I was going to night school to become a teacher, and not that I wanted to necessarily be a teacher, but I wanted to be a varsity coach. I had been coaching at a school called Northwest Community School in Phoenix, Arizona, so it's kind of ironic. We moved here. I kind of had to go to church here at first, but being a coach, I desired to be on the the highest of levels to coach the varsity basketball and baseball teams and the administrator said "Well, you can't do that unless you are a teacher and the hesitation was he said this is this is a private christian school this is, this is the salary range and i'm like i don't really think i want to be a teacher at a private school I, I, it was really a difficult choice but went back to school became a teacher and i say that to I didn't get a student teaching semester. My first day in the classroom was my first day in front of seventh and eighth graders teaching science. And I remember going in there before that day just preparing, and Brittany can attest, there was a lot of anxiousness and nervousness in front of 12, 13, 14-year-old young kids. And I remember talking to my advisor, who was my teacher, that's the school that I went to, and I asked her, I said, I'm, I'm really worried about not being able to teach them something that they'll take away. And she's like, Brian, do you remember what I taught you when you were in high school? And I'm like, um, not really. She's like, exactly my point. The pressure's off. You don't need to help them remember earth science. I want you to help them create a passion for learning and to think critically. So today, pressure's off of me. I, I'm just going to share what is on what God has placed on my heart about this fifth command. It's up to you guys to have the passion. So there's no pressure on me. But I want you to develop for your own lives a passion for God's word. Now, the first three commands are all vertical in presentation, and a a commentary that I read quite often when I'm studying is by David Guzik, a couple of guys that I study with. We use that as some commentary to dig in deeper, and in life group as well. He mentions there's three great purposes for the commands and the laws of God, the first of which, they're, they're not a suggestion if we go back. They're commands. They're not like, if you want to do them, you know, feel free. They're commands. And God spoke them to Moses. So he wasn't joking around and they didn't get misspelled or transcribed incorrectly. But the three of the things is one is a guardrail to keep us on that path. One is a mirror. It shows us where we are morally and maybe some failings That we might have. The third thing is a guide, showing us God's heart towards us and his desire for his people. You know, I'm reminded this was the Israelites, but we also have been adopted into his family. If you've accepted that free gift of eternal life and have a relationship with Christ, we are his people too. So this applies to us. Now in Deuteronomy 5. Not very far removed from Exodus chapter 20. Moses, he had to repeat these Ten Commandments. So I want you to go back, if you could turn in your phones or in your Bibles to Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 9. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. Now, The Jews of today and back then, several thousand years ago, called this the Shema, if I pronounce that correctly. This is to help them to listen and to hear and to remember what God is saying. So I'm going to read that for us, but I want you to read along. I'm in the NASB version, and unfortunately, my eyes, I can't zoom in to my eyes very well with this scripture, it's a little small. My wife was helping me last night print this out in bigger font so I could read it without glasses. (laughs) Verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. And you shall teach them diligently to your sons, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontals on your forehead and you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates pretty impactful that we need to be reminded of that as well He's not requiring just a little bit. He's requiring all all of us to remember it as children or as parents to children. We're teaching our kids those things. That's part of where we're going to get into the fifth commandment about honoring your father and your mother. But as parents, we have a responsibility to, to know God's word and to share God's word with our kids. Reviewing some of the the commandments that we've already done. Uh, David talked to us about the first command, you shall have no other gods before me. And a question that he had asked is, what am I allowing to rule in my life or to rule my life? And what if there's anything that is dividing my heart from total devotion to the Lord? You know, at times, and I'm guilty of this as well, you know, we, we hear something at church And we're like, that's good. I'll write that down. And then maybe we don't ever go back to that, what we wrote down. And we don't ever contemplate later what was said. But this is why the Shema is constantly reminding God's people of what we need to do. Second command, you shall not make a carved image to be worshipped. You know, God, as Ryan said, he revealed to us, His name, I am that I am. He wanted an exclusive covenantal relationship with us. He went to great pains to do that. Just after this command, he goes through the sacrificial system. That's how you can keep this relationship with me going. Thankfully, we don't have that today. 2,000 years ago, we know that Jesus was that permanent sacrificial lamb for us. But David or Ryan asked the question, or Jesus actually compares himself, or claims to be God in John 8:58, when the Pharisees were questioning him, and they, they finally were pushing him. It seemed like they were pushing him to the where he finally had to say something, and he said, "I am." And they knew exactly what he meant, and they wanted to kill him right then, but the scripture he just kind of walked through them, where he hid himself from them. So why does God and Jesus, they're equal? And Ryan explained, why do we want to know that? Because to worship Jesus or to worship God, that's what crafting that that little image, he doesn't want that. He wants us to worship God Himself, not an image, a substitute. His question or third third command, do not take the Lord, the name of the Lord in vain as Ryan explained, you know, I, I honestly thought it was just about kind of cursing, right? Most of us probably thought, don't say that word. And most of us probably pretty good. We may slip from time to time and say some things or take God's name casually. But he kind of, Ryan kind of ruined it for me when he said, it's, it's more than just that. It's about carrying God's name everywhere you go. I'm like, well then I'm not so good on that particular commandment anymore. I thought I was good, but now I'm not as good as I thought I was. You know, when I, back at that Northwest Christian school in Phoenix, I was a coach and the team was a, it's a private school. We played public schools and private schools, but I would explain to them, you know, you're held to a higher standard. You put on that jersey and it represents Northwest and you don't have a name on the back, but you have a cross on your shorts or on your shirt. And as you walk into the gym, or walk onto the baseball field, or on the track, you don't just represent the school. You represent that cross, and what it means. So all your actions, all your words, they represent Christ alone. So as Ryan was reading that, it brought me back to, I I do represent Christ in my workplace. And one thing that i I thought of this morning as I was waking up the this is the more convicting thing you know the Pharisees some of the Pharisees be- believed kind of in private they didn't want other Pharisees to know that they believed in Jesus. Don't be that in your workplace, don't be that in your neighborhood you be bold for Christ. You carry Christ with you. He wants to use you in a way that represents him and brings him glory. Fourth command, keep the Sabbath holy. You know, Brian explained that this was the first command that was positive. And it's not about God wanting something from us, it's about God wanting to give us rest. And those of us who have accepted the lord and accepted his free gift we can rest in him so remember that and be intentional about that resting in him finally command number 5 honor your father and your mother that your days may be prolonged in the land which the lord your god gives you there are three questions that i want you to ponder and think about as we read these read this command First question, what does God mean when he commands us to honor our father and our mother? What does he truly mean by that? Second question is, why does God want us to obey this command? Why does he want our obedience? Third question is the most difficult one. How how do we do this? How do we honor our father and our our mothers? You know, as, as I was studying this, I'm like, well, how do we honor? What does honor look like? We may have some working definitions, respect in, in terms of not just parents, but even authority figures, our bosses, or someone that is older than us that we want to honor and respect them. We don't talk back to them. We don't have an attitude with them. Nobody here probably has said that to your children. I see you have an attitude. You know, God can probably see our attitudes as well. We obey. We do what they say. We submit. We humble ourselves. And then if, if we're fortunate enough to have parents that, that we're taking care of, possibly, later on, caring for them as they go through things. You know, I was telling Brittany, you know, we have four boys and only one is left in our house, Cody. We have one that's married, sweet daughter-in-law. I can only pray that all the pressure won't be on her to care for us. So I need the other three to really marry well, to be able to care for me for sure. Brittany's easy, but me is is not, not the easy part. So some of you may be thinking, well, you don't know my situation. I don't really have honorable parents. You might not. As I look on my life, you know, my dad passed away when I was five. And so, I don't really have him to honor anymore or obey. My mom remarried, but it just, it wasn't quite the same. Some of you, and I have a family history of this as well, there's physical abuse, emotional abuse, so you look at that command and you go, yeah, that kind of doesn't apply to me because I don't think I can honor that man or that woman who was my mom and my dad. So hold that thought in, in, the, in your heart that it's harder for you. And I agree, it, it is harder. Some of you have great legacies where you can look at your mom and your dad and you're like, they, they've done well. They've raised me well, and I know they love the Lord, so it's easier for me to respect and honor them. But I know there's those of us that are out here today that that may not have that background. The command is, is still for you. But I think as Ryan made that verse a little deeper for me, not just cursing, this verse is a little deeper. I think this is a picture of what God would have us do He gives us a picture of parenthood. That's how it's supposed to be. We're supposed to teach them the Shema. But it doesn't quite work always well that way. There's brokenness and there's sin, divorce, abuse, like I said, death. Things break up families. But we're still to honor the Lord by honoring those he puts in authority over us. So I want to focus a little bit more on the honoring of the Lord through our parents. And I want to focus a little bit on the obedience portion. Even though there's respect and there's reverence and humility, focusing on obedience. Second question, why does God want us to obey this command? You know, I I could have picked many verses, but I want you to turn to Malachi if you've heard of that book, go to Matthew in the New Testament, and then go backwards, or on your phones, obviously, just type in Malachi. It's easier. Once you're there, we're going to go to Malachi 1, 6 through 14, and Malachi is a minor prophet, but he's talking, he's having a conversation with God, and I want to tease out a couple of things that I think God wants us to hear about the why he wants us to obey him. Verse 6 in Malachi 1. A son honors his father and a servant his master. Then if I am father, where is my honor? And if I'm a master, where is my respect? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests, who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised thy name? You are presenting a defiled, or defiled food upon my altar. But you say, how have we defiled thee? In that you say, the table of the Lord is to be despised. But when you present the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you present the lame and sick, is it not evil? Why not offer it to your governor? Would he be pleased with you? Or would he receive you kindly, says the Lord of hosts? But now will you not entreat God's favor that he may be gracious to us with such an offering on your part? Will he receive any of you kindly, says the Lord of hosts? Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the gates that you might not uselessly kindle fire on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord of hosts, nor will I accept an offering from you. For the rising of the sun, even to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense is going to be offered to my name and a grain offering that is pure. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you are profaning it in that you say the table of the Lord is defiled. And as for its fruit, its food is to be despised. You also may say, my, how tiresome it is. And you disdainfully sniff at it, says the Lord of hosts. And you bring what was taken by robbery and what is lame or sick, so you bring the offering. Should I receive that from your hand, says the Lord? Verse 14. But cursed be the swindler who has a male in his flock and vows it, but sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts. My name is feared among the nations. Those few verses, God's serious about who he is and about what we give him. He's holy. We we can't understand his holiness. So there certainly is some fear and some awe and respect God is serious about how we live our lives. He wants the best from us. You know, there's another in Job. If you've read Job, a conversation that Job is having, yet he kind of is complaining at one point, and God finally is patient, but then He says, "Well, who are you? Who are you again? Were you there when I did all these things?" We weren't there. We're not God. So there is a, a distance between us and God in who he is. Now, we do have a right to citizenship with him because of what Jesus did. But he's still He's still God, and he's still perfectly holy. Now, the the difficult one. Question number three. How do we fulfill this command? And to be honest, this morning as I woke up, I don't think God was waking me up. My alarm was waking me up, but I think He was He was immediately saying something to me that made me feel like I, I probably need to shift what I was going to say, because it, as I reflect back of what I might have said, it, it might have been just a check mark or a, a a box that I can check. There's a Spurgeon quote and. And I'm a Spurgeon fan, so anytime I teach, I want to bring in at least one quote from Charles Spurgeon. I love how he speaks. Sometimes we don't understand the way they talk when they were writing this, but it's pretty cool. God's word is the best preventive against offending God. For it tells us his mind and will and tends to bring our spirit into conformity with the divine spirit. Isn't that what God's word is supposed to do? Align us with what he wants us to do? Isn't that what prayer is supposed to do? As we we humble ourselves before God, he wants to impress upon our spirits and and bring us into a deeper relationship with him. I know the, the few guys that I meet with, I talk to them about psalms quite a lot, psalms and proverbs. I try to read those consistently psalm 1 verse 2 i'm going to read a couple of psalms here but his delight is in the law of the lord and in his law he meditates day and night psalm 37 pretty popular verse trust in the lord and do good dwell in the land and cultivate cultivate faithfulness delight yourself in the lord and he will give you the desires of your heart sounds good to delight in the Lord, and we get what we want. I don't think it works like that, but delighting in Him, and then our spirits will be in aligned, and then our desires will match what He wants to do. Psalm 42:1. This is extremely convicting. The next two verses are tough to live. As the deer pants for water, so my soul longs for You. And Jeremiah 29 not 11 but 2 verses later that's a pretty popular one 29:11 it sounds great but 29:13 if you haven't read that we're going to read it right now and you will seek me and find me when you search me search for me with all your heart see you mouthing you know that verse that's wonderful we may we may know that verse and we may know the concept but are we doing that verse? Are we living that verse? Or those last two verses? You know, I'm sure I'm not alone when I misplace my keys or misplace my wallet, and I'm like, I have to go to either work or I have gotta leave the house. Well, I, I can't leave without my keys. And so I'm frantically searching for my keys or my wallet. I'm like, my credit cards are in there, I have to cancel everything. I'm I'm frantically pursuing that wallet, calling places where I went. Now, do we do that? That's the question I've asked myself over the last couple months is, is am I doing that with my relationship with God? Am I seeking him, seeking his face with all my heart? No, not like I want. And, Probably you're in the same boat, not like you want. You know, it's pretty simple. It seems pretty simple that we spend quality time with God and we get to know him. He'll reveal himself to us and become more like him and we'll honor him because we're spending more time with him. But that sometimes doesn't work out like that because we get in the way you know we we know these things we know the I'm not telling you something you you don't know already but practically speaking how does that how does that play out in our lives our jobs get in the way our comforts get in the way our desires our wants in the way of what god is trying to do and and it, eventually we may not hear his voice you know there's there's a story that that I've shared. I shared, obviously, when I was a teacher, I shared it with my wife. And it's kind of funny, but it it is um, appropriate in this situation. Because I didn't get the student teaching year or semester, I had to start that first day. And then I had an advisor from the University of Phoenix is where I got my degree from. <clears throat> and... He was coming one morning and I was all prepared and I knew he was going to be sitting there judging me and I felt nervous and I remember that morning I got in early and I was doing a chapter on metamorphic rocks and I brought candles from my house and I was melting them and then when, if you don't know eighth grade science, earth science, you'll remember that you squeeze that candle and and it changes shape and so it metamorphoses or changes into something different. And that's what I was doing. And I was there early before school. I was preparing the, I had my Bunsen burner in the back and my candles burning or melting, I thought. Get to the apex in a second. I was melting my candles, trying to at least. And I'm up at my desk and I'm studying, writing my game plan out for the day. And, and closer to school, I was lost track of time. And my door opens up and... A boy named Reese, I'll never forget his face. He's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm preparing, Reese. What do you mean? He goes, no, that. And he points to the back of the room. And I look up and I'm like, and there is smoke filling my room, probably maybe 18 inches to two feet all on the ceiling. Flames coming out of the pot where the candle was supposed to be melting. It wasn't melting anymore. And I'm just like, Gets get something to blow the smoke away from those little things that can melt. And and then everything is wet. And I'm frantically saying, hurry, hurry, hurry. And the smoke is filling the building. Then the alarms are going off. And and I'm I run outside and, and the administrator, I see him walking towards my classroom, and I'm like, it's okay, it's okay, it's just me. I'm sorry. If nothing's burning, it's put out. But I forgot, I forgot. When Never do this. I learned this. I didn't know that before, but never put candle in water when it's burning. Don't try it because it, it actually made it worse. The flame shot up, and I know I went back to that same classroom a couple of years later, and there were still burn marks on those little ceiling tiles. And one of the student's brothers, I guess his brother told him the story, and he was like, are you the teacher that almost burned the school down? I'm like, well, not really, that's a little stretch, but I say that story, you know, when, when we're walking this walk, the people around us, even the kid that might be a little bit um, not the greatest, he may point us and keep us aware of what's going around us because we get distracted with other things and we stop honoring the Lord. You know it. Northwest has been mentioning disciples, making disciples, and what does that look like, and how do we trust, love, and obey? You know, if you're familiar with this guy named Michael Behe, he had this concept, or maybe he just joined in on this concept of irreducibly complex, and his example was a, a mousetrap. And he said, you don't have a mousetrap without every single piece working together. You you can't kill a mouse with just a spring or a flap or a piece of wood. You can't do it. All those pieces have to be working together. So I look at that crudely and say, well, can I really obey the Lord and not trust him? Or can I trust him without loving him? You can't do... One without the other two, truly. Now, one of my boys who will remain nameless in kindergarten, you know, you teach your kids to obey and to respect their teachers. And the teacher came to him and, and said, you need to write your letters this way. It was, I don't even remember what kind of way. It wasn't cursive. It was a, how you put a little flare on the letters. And he tells the teacher, well, I'm doing it right here in front of you, but when you walk away, I'm going to change it. So he was being honest, but he and sort of obedient, not, not really at the heart of the matter. So he may have been checking the box, I'm doing what you want me to do. A more biblical suggestion is the rich young ruler. You know, when he came to Jesus, he's asking, he, you probably know this passage, he asked Jesus, it's Luke 18, What must I do to inherit eternal life? Good teacher. Jesus goes, no one's good except for God. And what did he say? Jesus asked him, have you been following the commandments? And one of which, the, the remaining five that we have to do, he said, yes, I've been honoring my mother and my father. I don't lie, I don't steal. And Jesus goes, with compassion, he says, but you lack one thing go and sell everything and give it to the poor, and then come back to me. So I, I say that to, to help me reflect on can I check a box? Can I look at the commands and go, yeah, I don't, I'm, yeah, I don't have any idols in my rooms, I'm good, I, I don't curse. I think God's alone. My honor, honor, my mother, my father, yeah, it might be difficult sometimes for us, but we do. Lying, yeah, I've lied. Have I stolen something? Probably. Have I cheated? You know, Jesus expands the commands in the New Testament. He doesn't just cancel them out. You know, he, he says, if you've thought hateful thoughts, it's like murder. So have I thought hateful thoughts? Yeah. So I've broken these commandments, but... As I look at my life, I'm like, not too bad, right? Not too bad. But that's not what God's wanting. He's wanting my heart and your heart totally and absolutely surrendered to him. That's how we truly honor him. That's how we truly trust and love and obey. We give him our lives You know, Psalm 51 and Psalm 6-6, David, and I I had joked that David kind of, he seems to be kind of whining a little bit as you read the Psalms, kind of crying out, and I'm like, eh, I don't really get the idea of that, but the more I read, the more I realize his heart was so sensitive to his sin, so sensitive to doing wrong to a holy God. I won't read Psalm 51, but it's basically his repentance and his sorrow over what he had done that we all know with the murder of Uriah and then the taking of Bathsheba and hiding it. Psalm 6.6, I will read. It's very short. I am weary with my sighing. Every night I make my bed swim. I dissolve my couch with tears. Maybe you've been there and done that. I've never done it like that. I've never been that repentant where I'm waking up crying over my sin towards God. And that was convicting for me to read and go, is that what God wants? He wants my heart to be humble and repentant. Now, that's easy to say. We go through our lives, and we struggle in this flesh that we have. I'm no different. The pastors are no different. We're, we're all in this together. We need each other to hold us hold us accountable. So I'd encourage you, if you're not in a life group, this wasn't a promotional plug, but as I think about that, you know, when we sin, we need people around us. Just like my My buddy Reese, who told me, What are you doing? We need people around us that know us, that were transparent with us. A couple things before I close. You know, this is the the danger as we realize we sin and we fall short for sure. Even as even as believers, not talking about salvation, we fall short. And yet we need God's forgiveness. We need to come to Him humbly. But one thing I want you to remember is God is not ashamed of you. God is not disappointed in you, even when we mess up, which more often than I want to admit. Now, when we hear those shaming words, it's not God. That's not God. He's not shaming us and disappointed in us. He wants, he is waiting on us to come to him to repent and to come to him and say, crying on our bed of tears. He wants us to be humble so that he can encourage us and be right there with us. So I encourage you, don't listen to the enemy's lies of shame and disappointment. You know, it's it's tough. I, I'm hard on myself and maybe... The other three boys may agree too, but I'm hard on my kids. There's a reason why, but as parents, we always, we always know we love our kids. We always want the best for them, just like God wants the best for us, but he knows better than we do in our relationship with him what is best. So don't ever be ashamed to come to him or to come to those in your life that are a part of your life. A quote, and then I'll have a couple questions. I don't know how I'm doing on time. I didn't start my clock. Quickly, then. A British evangelist named Alan Redpath, in the mid-1900s evangelist and a pastor, quote is, The great message of the Christian faith is, therefore, that we are free from the law's condemnation in order that we may be able to fulfill its obligation by the power of Jesus Within us, my obedience, therefore, is not legal, but inspired by love and empowered by God's Holy Spirit. The band, you guys can go ahead and come on up. Now, one thing before I pray, you know Jesus is very direct, as I said, he wants our whole life and our whole heart. Ryan referenced this a few weeks ago, Matthew 16:24. I'm sure you've heard it. It reads Then his disciples, then he, Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. I want you to think about some of those questions that I brought today. God loves you and he accepts you as you are. If you're a believer in Christ, know that. Know your identity is found only in him. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ today, don't leave without that relationship. Come to whoever brought you or come to one of us at the front. Don't, today is the day of salvation. Come to him. Let's go ahead and pray with me. Heavenly Father, we are in awe of who you are. Father, you've given us the opportunity to know you, to have a relationship with you, a covenantal relationship with you, a binding relationship with you. More than a contract, even though this contract was signed with Jesus' blood, he fulfilled the covenant, and he created a new covenant with us, that we can partake and be a part of him and be filled with your Holy Spirit. I pray for these brothers and sisters of mine this morning that they are encouraged and challenged, edified by the words that I read today from your word and that today is different. They walk out of here wanting and desiring a relationship that is deeper than ever before. Pray that we know your identity and the, the identity that you give us as your sons and daughters. We love you, Lord. Thank you for this morning. We get to open your word and to worship. Lead us out as, you, as you're here in our presence, as we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.